Wisco Dice. Welcome to Wisco Dice. What was that? I don't know. Stuff? I think somebody pooped on your voice or something there, dude. Somebody pooped on my voice? So if I went like, welcome to Wisco Dice. Is that better? That was better, actually. Oh, okay. I don't, I don't know. I, I tell right, you. So we are back for the big number 20. 20. Two zero. Two zero two of zero. episodes. And you'll have to forgive me. As I've told Ben multiple times, I just finished work at 5 o'clock. It's now like 7. It was my 12th day in a row. And you know what happened before that 12 days? I was at the Screw City GT. And you know what happened before that Screw City GT? I worked for 9 days in a row. So I'm tired. Who, but who you are know, you anyway? Deal with it. Oh, I'm a whiner. But anyway, my name is PJ Shard, otherwise known as Wisco Dice on Twitter. I, I believe he's also nearing his three beer limit. <laughs> Whatever. All right, this Nonsense. is the Conzi with the most. The Conzi with the most. I mean, it's going to have to be the Conzi with the most minis, of course. <laughs> As we hear pretty much every every one of these casts, Conzi has continued to lose weight. He's dropped now 58 pounds. You know what? The, the Shard can't make that claim. I have not dropped. I don't think any pounds. Well, now that you got that fancy dancy piece of technology, you could probably put my fitness pal little app on that thing. And actually, no, it's an iPod. It's an iPod. You probably don't have access to apps. Correct. So I will have to throw out a quick thank you to my friend Dale. My friend Dale, awesome friend, knew him in college. He saved up his money, bought an iPad, and then his mom decided to buy him an iPhone for Christmas. And he's like, "Well, crap! What do I do with this iPod Touch?" And he had already engraved his name and phone number on the back. And he's like, I can't sell this. People are going to know exactly what I am. And they're going to like torture me or stalk me or something. So he said, you know what? You're having a baby. I'm going to send you a baby present. Here you go. iPod Touch. So big Paul shout out to Dale. almost graduated to this technology level. Yeah, but I, I, I'm not going to use it that much. Now, now if you can just get a phone that did more than just be a phone. That's not going to happen. Catch up with the rest of us, dude. But the really kind of fun thing about, and I'm really excited about the iPod Touch, is I'm going to be able to go to tournaments, and I'm going to be able to tweet from tournaments as long as the Wi-Fi is relatively decent. And I might even be able to post pictures right from my camera straight onto the iPod and up to the interwebs. So that'll be pretty sweet. Yeah, we'll see how much he actually does that. Yeah, it depends on how much I'm drinking. It's inversely proportional to how much drink I have had since the time that I took the picture. Or just inversely proportional to how much effort he's really willing to commit and or his ability to operate technology, which is almost 0%. I am a Luddite. There is absolutely no question that that is a very good statement about what my personality is. So uh, I'm sorry. So anyway, we have talked no (laughs) Warhammer, and people listen to this thing, want to hear about some Warhammer. Warhammer! All right, so first off, let's go ahead and take care of the necessaries. Oh. And these are the most important necessaries we have to do every show, and that's to give a big thanks to our sponsors. Our sponsors. Well, we might as well start off with The Last Square. I believe they're located on Odana Road. Is that correct, Ben? Last time I checked, which was... Tuesday. Tuesday. <laughs> Why did you look at your wrist to see if it was Tuesday? There's not even the watch on that wrist. I haven't worn I, a watch I, since high school. I'm wearing a watch right now. It's a fossil. It's a it's a dead piece of technology that I no longer need because I have a phone that does that for me. Anyway, I think we're talking about Droid last square. Does. And don't they have amazing miniature selection? 
They have a great selection. I mean, you can find six millimeter, ten millimeter, twenty-five millimeter, pretty much anything you want. Down yeah, to yeah, I think much a quarter scale actually. Historicals, you you know, from you know, like Greeks, Romans mm-hmm. to medieval to Napoleonic War, Wings yeah, of Napoleonics, War. Yep. Yeah, World War Two, World War One stuff. Mm-hmm. Not just Flames of War, Bolt Action. They got there now. It's a really cool game by Warlord. Cross, they got Wings of War, and I think they just got Dreadnought in too. Uh, and if you want that and you're in the Madison area, why don't you go ahead and stop in at the Last Square? Or if you're not in the Madison area, check out thelastsquare.com. They give some pretty decent discounts as well. Yep, thelastsquare.com is a great place to get 20% off GW product anytime. Exactly. Just tell them. All right. Hey, so then we got to go ahead and hit up the Misty Mountain Games. Misty Mountain Games. On located. Cottage Grove Road. Thank you very much, sir. I think they have the largest gaming space in Madison. Is that correct? They do. And I think they have pretty much everything you can think of for most game systems. They've got, you know, Yu-Gi-Oh! or Pokemon or Magic, right? Card games, board games, minis games. Correct. Staff there is very knowledgeable. Great great space. Almost always room for space. And this year's host for Merry Mayhem 2012. Oh, when is that, Ben? That is November 30th through December 2nd, featuring game systems, of course, Warhammer Fantasy. Correct. Warhammer 40K. Correct. Privateer Presses, Hordes, and War Machine. Oh, my goodness. That's a lot of systems. Mantics, Kings of War. And you know what? You can buy all of those at Misty Mountain Games. Yeah. Wow. There you go. Conveniently. Conveniently. And that's located on Cottage Grove Road, so check them out. Sponsor Prism Gaming. Prism Gaming! Prism Gaming. I've used some of their paints this week, so I had a fun time with that. Uh, Well, I used their... Leather wash, I believe it's called. Yeah, and that's I a made... really brown wash. It's, it's I, like a I think of mud. their I think of their wash. It's it's a darker brown. It's it's like solid dark brown. If you if I if I were gonna talk in old GW colors, correct, I would think of it as like a scorched brown, except like Devlin mud consistency. Like it goes on mm-hmm. the model. It doesn't have a gloss to it. It just goes on the model like a perfect wash. Yeah, and I used that on some terrain that I made, which we'll be talking about later on in the episode. Also, they make amazing dice towers. I have to say, I use the mine at Screw City GT for absolutely every game, and I had a blast. People were asking me about them the whole game. They really helped keep my dice in order because, you know, sometimes I throw the dice a little crazy and hit other people's models, and then I feel horrible. But you know what? This dice tower, it helped me grow as a person, and I didn't have to hit other people's models. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's, I mean if you're not familiar with the dice tower, I mean, it's just a... It's just this plastic little tall thing, and it's got a couple of little things where you bo- it bounces your dice off. You just put your dice in the top hole, and it spits them out oh. on the bottom. <laughs> wow, false. I had too much to drink. <laughs> that is a lie. Spits, spits them out on the bottom. I have not then, hit the three drinks. And then it. you can pick the whole thing up. It doesn't have a bottom to it. It just sits on the table, so you can just pick the whole thing up after you've rolled the dice. Correct. Without really interfering with the dice or anything mm-hmm. sort out like say your hits or whatever and then put them back in the new dice tower put them back in the dice tower to roll your wounds bing 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 it does it helps speed up the game you're not having to scatter your dice your dice aren't going out a lot of control and on the floor and whatever and there's no cock dice when you're lowing on a flat surface so that's helpful as well so yeah i mean it's it really does help a lot especially like my, i've been playing dark elves all the time I've got 86. I had 86 shots a turn. Yeah, you roll a lot of dice with Dark Elves. You got how many shots? And then you got how much magic? And I I think Dark Elves are broken. Not really. But I don't think that actually has anything to do with Prism Gaming. So, however, I think you were also having some fun with their wound counters. Yeah, I've definitely been using their wound counters. They're very useful. They 
I mean, you just put them next to your models, whatever it is. They got different colored ones, so yeah, oh hey, I need I need different color wound counters maybe for this character that's in this unit because I got another character in that unit needs wounds. You know, it's taking wounds as well, so I don't have to like mix up. I don't have to use my dice and get them confused and mis- mixed up. They're just little flat discs, so you can put them on there, put them by your models really good. So everything's great. Just check them out, prismgamer.com. Prismgamer.com. All right. Prismgamer.com. Dot com. So. Why can you sing and I can't? Come on. I sound pretty. No. I sound pretty. Thems is the rules. Or you can go to WWHFB.com. I think that's our last sponsor. Isn't that right, Ben? That is. Wisconsin. The Wisconsin Warhammer Fantasy Battles League is the probably the Wisconsin's oldest Warhammer club that I know of anyways. Probably. It that is. I know of. Yeah. That's really definitive. For, I think we're for, closing in on 15 or 20 years now of existence. Why don't we just go ahead and call it the oldest one and challenge anyone to defy us? Yeah. Done. So if you got a club that's in war, that's a Warhammer club in Wisconsin, we want to hear about it. We want to see if you actually have been around longer than the WWHFB. Yes, On top suckers. of that, I mean, the WWHFB just here in Madison's doing all sorts of cool things. They've got a – coming on, starting in October, they've got a – Narrative campaign, right? Uh, yeah, a narrative map. Well, it's not, it's not a narrative campaign. It's a map campaign using the Mighty Empire set. But I thought you were doing some it, There's going some to be – it's based and... – yeah, there's going to be a bit of a story. It's the War of the North, so it's going to be – Kind of based around some chaos guys coming down from the north and attacking the northern portions of the empire, and the map's going to be based around that and cool and such. And then we've got the Escalation League as well. It's going on in Madison. Escalation League. Yep. Basically, a grower league trying to help some new players and players that have even have been around the hobby a little bit while, but they have you know growing their hobby skills, growing their growing their collections, and helping them get to that next step both hobby-wise and game-wise. So that's been great. Well, I think that actually kind of transitions well into what we've done in the past couple of weeks. We've done stuff in the last couple of weeks? I think we did. I think we played a whole... There has been a lot of Warhammer. load of games. (laughs) We have done a lot of Warhammer, a lot of gaming in in general, honestly, in the last few weeks. And even hobby. Yeah. We've done a ton of hobby, too. I don't know if I've done a ton of hobby, but I've gotten some stuff done. Well, I have. For me. Anyway. Well, you, so, you had a break. I've, I've been, like, nonstop, so. Yeah, exactly. So what have, what have we really been accomplishing gaming-wise lately? Well, I think gaming-wise, the first thing we want to talk about is that we've been doing some terrain-making. But that's going to be our final, our uh, big topic for this week, so we'll kind of skip over that a little bit. But in this Escalation League, we've been playing tons and tons of games. Yeah, I mean, right now in this, this month, we've been... We're recording this in September, and in the first mm-hmm. month of September here, we've been doing 500-point games, the, the very bare bottom of what you can end. And it, it is really it just ends up being a lot of silliness, a lot of you play two, three, four games in an evening. Mm-hmm. And it, the whole month of September down to last square, every Tuesday night has been just crazy. We've had, Just packed. Yeah, we've had 10, 12, 14 players out, which considering where we were three or four months ago, we're lucky if we could get six people to turn out. Yeah. That's a vast improvement. So exactly. we're not, you know, it's the Escalation League is helping grow that extra amount of players. And it was great. Like, they, we had half a dozen people even there painting. We still had people playing games. But every third week of the month, we do a hobby week. And to be able to do painting with, like, another half dozen players was really helpful to get stuff done and and to demonstrate and i enjoyed the teaching aspect of that yeah 
It was a great time. I painted some spiders. You painted some marauders, right? Yeah, I pumped out. I I demonstrated the speed painting techniques we talked about on episode 11 Mm -hmm. on some more marauders. I also did some uh, high elf archers as well. Yeah, and they were pink. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the only proper color you should put high elves in. Yeah, because they're high elves and they're in pajamas. Uh, What? They're in pajamas, dude. Are they bananas in pajamas? No, they're, they're high elves. They don't have no bananas. Anyway, I was just... Uh, it was really pink. I That's mean, the idea. Uh, okay. Very bright pink. All right. With blonde I, hair and very light-skinned <laughs> elves. They should... When they're done, they should actually... I'm going to do uh, the basing. It'll be a little bit darker, though. Mm-hmm. It'll be like a darker green. They should pop pretty well on the table, I mean, as far as color. I mean, there's something that nobody else has seen. And then when I've got 80 For or 90... For good reason! When I've got 80 or 90 archers on the table, all in bunny uh. slippers that are all hand-sculpted, that should be actually kind of impressive and get some notice. <laughs> yeah, for being ridiculous. Ah, who cares? So what army have you been playing in this Escalation League, Ben? I've been playing Warriors of Chaos, actually. So ah. I've, I've had this stroke of genius that I'm going to make a Chaos Warriors army based around the... 80s Conan film, Conan the Barbarian film, using the villains, using the Thalsa Doom army. So it'll be the, my Chaos Sorcerer will be Thalsa Doom, mm-hmm. and his couple of like be, be, big beefy henchmen will be my exalted champions, and then I'll do some other stuff based on scenes and stuff that are in the movie. Cool. So that's that's kind of my thing. And I, I've had a Warriors of Chaos army for years and years and years, so I'm just kind of using that army right now as I pick up a few purchases and try to find, try to use the Escalation League to motivate me to get some of the conversion work and models and assembly done that I need to to get this project done. Because like most projects, like the Beastmen were, <laughs> we'll probably get about halfway started. We'll get the thing finally assembled and then probably Blech. move on to something else. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, I've been playing with my spiders. played a couple of weeks of those. And... Then I ended up playing with my ogres last week. Ben, I think you and I actually played a game last week. Yeah, I should have won that. Yeah, it was kind of funny because Ben looked at me straight across the table before the game started and said, all right, you've got two units of bowls well, he had, he's and got... one bruiser and two Mornfang. You know what? All i got to do is i got to kill those Mornfang and I've won the game. Yeah, I mean... Pretty much, yeah. I mean that because you did otherwise out combat you and me. I had twenty marauders, maybe there was twenty one. Twenty one marauders with flails, Mark and Nurgle, full mm-hmm. command. A unit of five chaos knights, mm-hmm. undivided, no upgrades. Five chaos hounds, no upgrades, and an exalted champion with an additional hand weapon. Yep, and I had. Two units, three bulls, no upgrade, or with iron fists, uh, and then one bruiser with nothing on them and two Morn Fangs with nothing on them either. Uh, so I threw the Morn Fangs into you, and you killed them. Like well, you the, the key here was that your Morn Fangs charged in, uh-huh. hit my ca- they they charged in, charged into the Chaos Islands, destroyed those like they should have, Yeah, overran into my Chaos Knights. Correct. Then I flank charged them with my Marauders. Now, the key to this game here was 
the impact hits from the Mournfang on the Mara- on the Chaos Knights. I, I only did four wounds. And I failed four armor saves. <laughs> so now I went from having two combat units to one. Exactly. And this was what eventually you still had more combat units. Now, if I would have passed armor saves like I should have, so I would have had... three. Say three knights at the end of that combat. Yeah, I would have had the tools left on the table, but eventually I was able to get the sec the one or unit of I got the, I got the Mornfang obviously out of that combat. Mm-hmm. I killed them dead with the Marauders in the flank. Rawr. But then I was able to get the other unit of ogre, bull, the regular ogres. Correct. But eventually the general unit. You know, I couldn't I couldn't get turned around fast enough to get that extra charge where I needed it. I believe you meant you were running away too fast to actually face me. I I didn't run fast enough. <laughs> I was just looking for a little bit better positioning. I had, there was plenty of turns left in the game. I was just mm-hmm. hoping to get better positioning. What I really should have done in hindsight was jump, jump in that building, mm-hmm. but that's hindsight's 2020. I ended up getting charged by the, the uh, ogres with your, whatever character. With in the them. bruiser. Yeah, the bruiser. And, and then you fluffed all your attacks with your character. I did. Fl- I wasn't the character so much that I fluffed, but it was the unit of marauders that still didn't do, uh, do enough damage. Because yeah. I should have, in reality, I probably should have popped. I did, I only popped one ogre. That's correct. And then with you having the two ogres back. Plus the bruiser. Really, yeah. That really killed. That was really where you got enough. You ended up winning combat by two. I failed the break check. It's 500 points. You can't afford things like VSBs, and I ran away. Yeah, and that caught you. So well, yep. I was pretty much off the board anyways at that point. It was pretty close to board edge. But yeah. moral of the story was, I mean, the four failed armor saves on the Chaos Knights was really the, the Achilles heel there because if I would have had three knights, I would have charged them into that unit with the, with the uh, whatever order character in there and stuff. And he would, and I would I don't know that I would have mm-hmm. won or or kept the knights in it, but I would have pinned those guys in place long enough for me to be able to reposition and redeploy my marauders in a way that I liked. My moral, my story is: don't think that my army is just one unit, and when when you beat it, you won. Mm. That's all. I should have won. I really should have <laughs> won that game. No, it's, I I fully admit that you probably should have won. I mean, but there, you was, there was. I failed four armor saves. That's and then, the three I, and, plus. Then I, and then I made the silly mistake of of not jumping in the building when I should have. There's my mistakes. All right. So let's talk about our hobby progression from last episode. There wasn't any. Yeah, because we were we, at, we were we were City drinking. And we all got everything done, and there was a lot of drinking and a lot of working. Any additional things you might have accomplished? There was a lot of drinking. Since basically Screw City, I don't think I've really accomplished anything other than some some work topic. on terrain projects. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if I finished my my Circle Caster Kaya and my Stonekeeper for my Horde Circle Army before Screw City or not. I think I did, and I might have mentioned that on the Screw City cast. But otherwise, I haven't done any yeah. painting of any sort. Yeah, you mentioned War Machine on the Warhammer cast. That was just wrong. It's what I'm working on, I felt on, man. violated. What I'm working on. I, I I felt like I was impure. Well, and I did the eleven Marauders at the on the paint nine on the. There you go. There you and go. I, and I got my archers. Like I got ten archers, all the main color, all the pink done, and was going back <laughs> in with the whites and all right, picking out some highlights. I will accept that as work. actual hobby work done. 
awesome models you might have missed. That was interesting. That was awesome. In- interesting. Awesome. Uh, so I originally had another unit listed as what we were going to talk about today. I don't see that. But I got my Warplock minis in the mail yesterday. Who? What? What is this Warplock minis thing? Well, Warplock miniatures, W-A-R-P-L-O-Q-U-E miniatures is by a guy named warblock monkey on the forums you probably see him on warhammer.org.uk or frothers unite or the ogre stronghold he's had threads on them for forever or not well or people like you won't have seen him at all however <laughs> he has been sculpting minis for a while uh since he was about 16 and now he's about 18 maybe 19 and he's decided to start actually sculpting minis of his own he did interview with games workshop and they said, hey, we like your style, but we want to give you a couple of years. So he's like, well, if I got a couple of years, I'm going to sell some minis. And I got a couple of those in the mail this week. I pre-ordered uh, Wood Elf Spellsinger or account as Wood Elf Spellsinger from him. And I figured since I was going to go ahead and spend the money to get a miniature shipped, I might as well get a couple other minis that I wanted. And people who have listened to the cast know that I'm having three orc shamans in my list for my spider goblins. However, you probably also recognize that I hate the GW works. That because he still he's only including the orc shamans because he needs the best in his list because otherwise it's just second rate. Because I just don't like the minis that GW produces for orcs. So I ended up buying three orcs to use as my shamans. Orcs is, is the best. Not the GW ones, I'm sorry. Even the GW ones. Uh, Alright, so You have no um, taste, sir. I have to say, I was a little surprised when I opened up the package. It was cool to get a package from the UK, number one. Always makes me kind of happy. Uh, and I ended up getting uh, several of his Bi Orcs, or Bayou Orcs as he calls them, and of course the Wood Elf Spellsinger. So the three models that I got from the Bi Orcs is he's got uh, a Bi Orc here with a club on his shoulder and kind of an old cowboy hat. They've all got a very much Louisiana swamp feel to them. And then also, uh, I've got his uh, top hat, Witch Doctor Buddy. And I've got his Mama Gator Mini, which is a topless orc grandmother. Isn't it sexy, Ben? It reminds me a lot of a certain orc blood bowl cheerleader, except not quite orcish. <laughs> and not quite as covered. No, uh, well, I guess the New York football <laughs> cheerleaders got a little something. Exactly. Uh, so, uh, upon opening the package, I was a little surprised. The scale is a little bit different from Mama Gator and from the Top Hat Buddy, the Witch Doctor, and also the Bayork. However, the thing that really surprised me the most was that all four of them were done in a separate medium. It looks like three of them were done in resin and one of them was done in metal. Mama Gator was done in metal. Um, the resin is a different color for all three of the miniatures that were cast in resin. However, that being said, I love the minis. Uh, I really, really enjoy the detail of character in every single one of these. They obviously are individuals as opposed to necessarily rank-and-file minis that most of DW does. But I think also it's a little obvious to me that the detail isn't quite up to GW standards. Well, I mean, they they remind me a lot of like what you'd see 80s, 90s out of GW when everything was much more in a process of a hand sculpting process 
and then they made made molds off of greens that they that the greens were made by somebody that actually used sculpting tools and such. Mm-hmm. And now you're seeing in most of the major companies that are producing miniatures, you're seeing them. These are CAD rendered miniatures that are then taken to a 3D printer or some kind of some kind of greening process. You know that's very, fairly automated before they go ahead and put these in production or anything so th- there's a lot more science that's going into a, a, a gw miniature these days versus what you're seeing these guys sculpt yeah and i think at the end of the day i am more than happy to trade the character in these minis for the lack of detail in comparison to gw minis oh i'm a huge fan of all the old 80s gw communities the old 80s 90s mm-hmm. gw goblins are just crazy the old marauder dwarfs mm-hmm. oh they're awesome they're just the feel that was so much there was every time you looked at one of those figs it was like there was a little story being told and it's the same thing with these figs every single one of them's got like their own little story that's going on with their figure yeah i, I definitely have to agree and while the detail may not be up to GW standards, I am not disappointed with the detail. I think that's they're still. I mean, they're still better than I think the GW plastic. Even the, the current GW plastic ranges, they're still better than that. But I mean, just from the just being in the medium that they're in, it, it's sharp. It's a little bit sharper to hold the, the detail and such. Mm-hmm. It's just that the I think what you're looking at for. The current like GW range is very dark and menacing, and these are like I said, they they fit really well with like if you had a an eighties or early ninety even nineties Warhammer army, and you were looking for great little characterful fits for maybe some characters or unit fills or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. These models go perfect with it. Well, and and because the reason that I bought these miniatures was to really kind of be a secondary highlight for my army. I'm gonna doing. Obviously, I've been doing a lot of conversion on the GW models, etc. But I really wanted some models to sell just the unique look of the army itself. These models are perfect for it. And I'm going to be really happy to paint them up and put them on my uh, boar spiders. So I, I'm very, very satisfied with my purchase. I, I saw a review online uh, of the miniatures themselves. And the review simply said, the details might not be quite as crisp as the GW miniatures. However, if you're looking for a miniature to really be able to showcase your painting talent, I have to say these miniatures really seem to do that really, really well. There's a lot of different detail and flat spaces that I really am going to have a lot of fun painting. So, there you go. All right, so well, I guess we'll go ahead and with that note, we'll cut a break here, and when we come back, we will talk terrain. Hey, Ben. Yo. You live in Wisconsin, right? Last I checked. And you play Warhammer, right? I sure do. I'm getting really tired of playing you every week. How do you get a hold of other people to play Warhammer in Wisconsin? Well, I just post over on the WWHFB forums. WWHFB? What's that? What's well, the Wisconsin Warhammer Fantasy Battles League. Really? Yeah. There, there's, there's one in Wisconsin. Yeah, that's what they are. They're all over the place. Really? Whether so- it's Milwaukee or Madison, Janesville or... Or lacrosse. They're all over. they got members everywhere. They're always looking to play games, answer questions about Warhammer. Just have fun. Wow, that sounds awesome. What was that website again? It's at 
www.wwhfb.com. Is that wwhfb.com? Yeah, that's it. wwhfb.com. That is it. I'll have to check it out. All right, you do. All right. Hey, yo, we're back. Okay, I am live from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the game town, and it's a uh, just got done playing Civilization, the board game with Meal, the dreaded one. How you doing, Meal? I'm good. How are you? All right, we were doing great. How did that game go? Uh, very good. I won, which was a little mean because there were two noobs. So not only do you crush people at Warhammer, but you're also crushing them at board games, too. Is that right? Of course. The burned hand learns best. All right. So <laughs> all right. So I understand we're actually here to talk about a book that you just basically published uh, yourself and is available via Amazon. What can you tell us about that? I've started uh, writing. It's been one of the things on my bucket list. I've never done really any creative writing, but it's... Always something that I wanted to have done, write a book, and uh, I ended up uh, going for it. It actually didn't take me as long as I thought it was going to, but it's still quite an effort, and uh, ended up uh, finishing it. I did try and get it to some publishers, but they don't even read your stuff unless you already published. It's kind of like a vicious circle. So I decided to put it up to self-publish and put it up on Amazon, uh, the book is called The Lover Boy, and I know that sounds kind of weird, but it's probably nothing what you think. It's about a, a situation that's going on in the Netherlands, where I'm from, and I kind of made a story about that. Well, that sounds great. Now, you said it's up on Amazon. How do, how do folks that want to pick up your book want to go ahead and get that? The easiest way is just to go to Amazon.com. Uh, it's on e-reader only. Actually, it's on Kindle only. Uh, if you don't have a Kindle, most most tablets have an app that you can download for free that converts it to Kindle. Certainly PCs. in the Android world, we do. Yeah. In the Android world, they've made them for the iPhone and the iPad. So That's pretty much everything. Yeah, it's uh, pretty much everything. You can get an app that uh, downloads. Just search for The Lover Boy and look for my name, Miel Vermeulen. And it's uh, $2.99, so it's not going to get you broke. It's not going to break the bank. It's not going to make me rich either, but (laughs) that's not the point. It's certainly, I mean, at the very least, by picking it up, you're supporting a fellow Warhammer player. For sure. Come on. Come on, folks, you've got to pick it up. For sure. If I make enough, I'll... uh, if I make enough to buy an army with it, I'll vow to play Tomb Kings for a year. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Which so, should make some people happy on the top tables. <laughs> so we're going to go ahead and make sure that we put that uh, link to where you can pick that up, up on the Wisco Dice on the links page. Yeah, I, I would appreciate it. Uh, I can give you a, shir- a short summary because I know the title is a little weird that yeah, people wh- think. What's this thing about? What it's about, it's... Uh, a lover boy in the Netherlands is very is a, has become a very common term, and it's actually a a, a guy in their late tens, early twenties, sometimes even a little older, but usually not. And what they do is they uh, they seek out girls with uh, with not so good family lives and stuff like that, and then they they go they start relationships with them. Then through manipulation, where the girls start 
getting separated from the family, so the guys are pretty much their whole world. And then they manipulate it further into getting these girls involved into uh, criminal activities or prostitution or some, uh, something like that. And it, it may sound strange, like somebody will not, never go into prostitution voluntarily if they don't want to, but read the book and it actually explains a lot on how these guys do this kind of stuff. And it's actually pretty scary that to think how this works. And the story is then about a girl that gets hooked by one of these lover boys and her life and how she handles it, what happens to her and how she gets out of it. And pretty much that's the gist of the story. Well, that sounds great. Um, We're going to look forward to picking that up and actually reading it myself. So that will be enjoyable. Uh And like I said, we will make sure that we have that up on the Wisco Dice links page, uh, wiscodice.com. Uh, and, of course, you can pick it up right now via Amazon. Right. Check it out on Kindle. Yeah, everybody's, everybody's mobile now, and everybody's got these mobile devices, so that shouldn't be a big deal for anyone out there. Certainly, if you're listening to this show, you've got a device probably capable of, of picking up and listening to a reading a, a Kindle book. So Yeah, and it's it's been my first attempt. It's, uh, so uh, it's not the greatest literature in the world, probably, but uh, I think it turned out pretty well. And everybody who's read it, that I had a proofread, really enjoyed it. Said that, you know, it's got a pretty good story in there. And, yeah, they really enjoyed it and have recommended it to everybody they know. So I'm hoping to do it again sometime. But first I want to see how this one works out. All right, and that is The Lover Boy. You can pick that up for your Kindle at Amazon.com. Okay, thanks, Ben. All right. We'll come back after this break. And in this quarter, we have Paul Wagner, otherwise known as PJ Shard, otherwise known as at Wisco Dice. And in this corner, we have Ben Cohn, otherwise known as Duggan Brightax, otherwise known as the Conesy with the most. Yes, and it's going to be the fight of the century on October 20th, only available on pay-per-view. What do you mean, pay-per-view? Pay-per-view. you got to donate to ExtraLife.org, otherwise we're not going to have this fight of the century happen. What's this, ExtraLife.org? ExtraLife.org. You see, what the thing is, it's a charity where you donate for kids that don't have enough money. But anyway, on the Warhammer, if you donate, and we meet our goal by October 20th, we're going to play a game of Warhammer Fantasy at 21 hours of our 24 hours of being awake. That sounds like... It's going to be a disaster. Yeah, and we're going to play it for you unedited. That'll be amazing. Yeah, and that's only available if you donate to ExtraLife.org. Yep. ExtraLife.org. ExtraLife.org. Saturday, October 20th. Be there. Okay, we is back. You had to get that in quick, didn't you? Yeah. You you... didn't want me to say anything embarrassing. Oh, my God. What do you think of me, Ben, huh? What kind of a person do you think I am? Well... If you're if you're looking to be a co-host on Wisco Dice, please send <laughs> your information hey, to code you at WiscoDice.com. Oh, we are not recruiting replacements. Jerks are called. <laughs> They're running out of you. <laughs> anyway, I think we have a main topic, and it wasn't finding a co-host. Well, that's always a possibility. Oh, God. <laughs> so I think we're going to talk about terrain. Yeah, there's. For our show, for episode 20, our goal, our mission last month, we decided a month ago, roughly. If we decide to accept it. Well, there was no if we decided to accept it. We were just 
told we had to do this. Mm-hmm. It came in from our mystery director. The fan? No, he's not a director. <laughs> he's the fan. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm mixing up fictional characters here. Fictional characters? There's no fictional characters. There's this. We have the director, and then we have the fan. Okay, anyways. <laughs> long story short, or a long story made longer. Too anyways. late! Oh, my God. All right, so... A long story made even longer, and now we've made even longer because of Paul interruptions. About a month ago, we decided we were going to take on this Make a Terrain project for episode 20. Challenge. Of course, yeah, it was kind of a challenge and or we wanted to use it as our experiences in making these projects to be able to describe them and talk to them. It's one of the things we like to focus on are all of the aspects of the hobby, whether it's gameplay, tournament play, being a good sports, like we talked about last episode, painting, but also making of the table, making the making the game the game space you're playing on look great. So mm-hmm. we both took on projects of our own choosing. We could make whatever we wanted to. And what did you go ahead and come up with, Paul? Well, uh, I decided to kind of follow Melanie's lead from our terrain haze. You mean podcast. the terrain lunch? Exactly. And I decided to make some ogre huts. She had talked about them on the cast, and I found her blog post on how she decided to make them remake where, them. Where was that blog were. post? I think it was at terrainwench.blogspot.com. I think that's about right. And if not, I mean, you can find it in the links page on wiscodice.com. That, We've had that there since she was on the show. Yeah. You can also check out the Terrain Wench's stuff on her Facebook page. You can just kind of follow the Terrain Wench. Correct. Or I think she's even got a Facebook page maybe now or something. But yeah, everything she does is great. Exactly. So I thought if I'm going to do my first piece of terrain, I'm going to model after somebody who knows what the heck they're doing. So I followed her instructions. However, she didn't give a recipe for the first step, which was to make a mix of glue and water and wash and then to take cut shapes of brown paper bags, crumple them up, put them in the wash, and then put them on the foam ball itself. So Okay, well, I think you're kind of skipping a step here because I've got a foam ball, yeah. right? You're making an ogre hut. I've got a round. What, what, what are the materials ah, that you had to go pick up? Good question. I bought a six-inch spherical ball of it plastic perfectly styrene. perfectly round. Exactly. Just some foam little round balls that you can find them at Michael's or yep. Joanne's, Five Nine Nine at Walmart, any, so. any place that does hobby craft stuff. Correct. I had a package of brown paper bags. Anything brown paper bag like you get to the grocery store, right? Correct. Yeah, that you would put a kid's lunch in. Even the big, large brown paper sacks, I would imagine, would be just fine, right? But I imagine yes, that those would be fine as well. So you could you could literally get that piece of your materials for free. Yes. And I also had some Elmer's white glue, water, okay. which which is the, P- the standard PVA glue. Correct. And then also some wash. I used the Prism. I think you were talking about earlier using the Prism Gamer brown wash or leather wash. Actually, I didn't use that. Uh, no? Okay. Because I wanted the building to have more of a red hue to it. So I actually used, I think I used a blood red or their blood... They're red. They're scab red, yeah. They're okay. It was that that darker red. Correct. It was okay. more of a I don't know, ripe cherry red than a blood red. Uh, and I just put a little bit of that in there as well. And then the last thing I had was bamboo skewers. And I just picked those up at the local B and Q, as they would say in the UK. 
Well, I um, don't know what a and q is. You pick them up at the hardware store. You pick them up at a cooking store. They're pretty much Eddie, everywhere. Okay. Okay. I, I got you. I'm following. So those were all the materials that I needed for my project. So first thing I did was I cut the styrofoam ball in half. Okay. That makes sense. So now you can have basically that styrofoam ball is now enough for two projects. Correct. And then I cut out a pie-shaped wedge from the front of it to make an entrance into the ogre hut. Okay. Then I painted that entrance in black so it looked like it was an interior space. And I put a couple of layers of black about two inches out from the cut itself onto the front surface of the styrofoam ball. And it's important to note that this it's styrofoam, so you can't spray paint this thing. You've got to brush on. Brush this paint. is all brush on, brush on paint. You probably get, get away with an airbrush. Exactly. So then I made this mix of PVA glue, water, and wash. What was your ratios that you roughly used? Roughly, I would probably say about four tablespoons of white glue to about a half a cup of water to maybe a tablespoon of this scab or this uh, scab red. It, it really wasn't nearly as much color. You it didn't it, mix in any brown at all with that? Or just nope. scab red? Okay. I just used the scab red because I figured the brown of the paper bag would show through well enough. Okay. And one of the things that Melanie didn't include in their blog post was the ratios of these different things. So I was kind of winging it. The one that she had made, she had put a piece of plastic over the the piece of styrofoam so that she could pull this tent off of the styrofoam piece and then sew through the back of it to put the bamboo skewers permanently attached to the tent itself but since i didn't know the ratio i wasn't that confident that i'd be able to pull it off of the styrofoam ball after it was dry so i just applied it directly to the styrofoam ball itself so what i did is i took these crumpled piece of paper that i had cut out from the paper bags i put them in the water in the little mix itself okay, i'm going to catch you again here the little paper cutouts that you did Roughly, I mean, I, there's no science to exactly how you cut them out. Obviously, Correct. you wanted them because they're kind of representing animal leather skins. or animal skins. But roughly, what size were you shooting for on each one you cut? Typically, uh, I went for something maybe an inch and a half to two inches wide from anywhere from one and a half to three inches long. So okay. I did have so some those longer are really pretty pieces. Big. Yeah, they were pretty large for what I was looking for, but I... There really wasn't a measurement on that either. So I was really kind of just trying to use what I thought would make sense and would work well. I, I, to, I looked at your finished products, and they looked like they were much smaller. So that was why I was kind of curious about well, that. Well, there was a lot of overlapping that was done on okay. those. So. That actually is an important thing to have mm -hmm. for people to know when they're trying to trying this project. And it's something that I don't know that I, I certainly didn't. look When I look at it, it looks like they're all like one and a half or one inch squares. You just kind of overlap a little bit of the edge. But obviously... There's quite a bit more to it. So I would put those scrunched up paper balls into the mix, pull them out, make sure that all the surface was covered by this wash glue water mixture, and then just paste them on the dome itself. Make sure they're flat. And I just cover the whole surface with that. It took me probably 10, 15 minutes. And then I waited for them to dry a little bit. And then I took the bamboo skewers and I painted those with the leather wash directly on the bamboo skewers itself. I wasn't really too concerned about making sure that absolutely every cover, every surface was covered at the same depth because I wanted a little bit of variation into it. But I did want to make sure that every surface was at least touched with this wash. So I painted all the bamboo skewers at the same time. And then I followed Melanie's advice and broke them so that I could make them 
fit around the curvature of the piece of styrofoam itself. But I didn't have bamboo skewers that were long enough to go from one foot of the tent all the way over the sphere to the other foot. So I ended up pushing in the bamboo skewers about halfway up into the styrofoam in a way that it looked like it would naturally fold down into the floor and then breaking it across and then pushing in the other side at about the same angle. So it looked like it was something that the actual support itself started inside the tent, came up outside of the tent, and then went back down inside the other side of the tent. And that was much more successful on my first one than on my second one. I, I think I just was trying too hard on the second one. This is a spot I think I would have just left them out, honestly. But mm -hmm. that's just my opinion. But otherwise, the project, your project did turn out really good. I was really, for, for you never having done a terrain project before, mm -hmm. I thought the project itself turned out really good. Yeah, after that, all I had to do was wait for them to dry. And I, I really was happy with the results for my first try. I ended up leaving them at the last square so they could have a little bit more terrain to use because I think I can do a little bit better job. My uh, next anticipation is to do a couple more of those. Yeah, and I think you could have done some things. The, once it was set up and hard, you could have like done a little dry brushing on the folds of the the leather bits to try to give a little extra texture because it was all pretty much the same texture what you were shooting for mm -hmm. was just using that red i think you could have went back with some some lighter browns and brought that up maybe to make it a little more leathery looking it's just just random thoughts you could have i mean mm -hmm. I, I remember seeing melanie's first attempt she did some some red like orc or, or ogre kind of painting some symbolism on the outside of it which is, I, I think, kind of proper to what you would be shooting for with like that, with the like a leather hand, leather tent or something like that. Well, and that's something I'm thinking about for future projects. That I actually did end up finding the white dwarf that showed them making ogre huts, which is episode or uh, I'm not I'm episode. I, I don't think they release white dwarfs in episodes, which is issue 300, and they actually did the same process, but then painted each piece individually three or four layers and they put the support structure underneath and i actually like it much better on the outside so the next time i make it i'm going to try and follow melanie's directions a little bit more strictly and i after seeing the finished product that i did i think melanie used a couple layers of paper as the shell of the ogre tent itself and so I'm going to do that as well the next time I do this project. So That could kind of make sense with her using the piece of plastic underneath it because mm -hmm. then you would get more rigidity with it. Exactly. And then she used a sewing needle to pull thread and actually sew those bamboo skewers on to make them look far more attached to the tent itself. And then, of course, it would make sense that the supports would be on the outside if you have that thread going through. Sure. And then the only other thing that I when I saw your projects that would have been really nice to have is if they would have been on a mounted piece of like hardboard or even poster board or car even cardboard would have been mm -hmm. nice to have underneath it. One, with the type of foam ball that you used, it tends to leave little crumbly bits. Mm -hmm. And then also, by doing that board, it gives your piece more of a finished look. And you can put little tidbits then on that finished board. Maybe, maybe leaning against a tent was an ogre... And you know, an ogre weapon or something like that, or or something that just gives it a little more character and a little more flavor. And these are things. I mean, without having that base, you just can't do those things. Yeah, and that's something that I was aware of. I 
I kind of really just wanted to try it out and see how it works. No, for for first projects, these are great, and and, and it's a great first project for anyone out there. And it's kind of yeah. why I've I've asked, and in and I hope you do. And I discuss you know stuff that I've I've had in mind and I've been doing. But that's yeah, that's definitely a great project, and they did turn out great for mm-hmm. the first go at making a project like this. They did turn out great, and you should be really proud of yourself. Well, and and the amazing thing to me was that it took less than an hour to make two of them. And I'm not ashamed to put them on the table, even being my first projects. And they looked really good. We played our Escalation League games on Tuesday. Yeah, no, they, they, they looked just fine. They on were the a really nice piece of terrain. So no, and in a, a good terrain project, whether you're doing it for your first time mm-hmm. or you're on your hundredth time, doesn't have to consume hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of time. Mm-hmm. Certainly, the more time you invest in the project. Oftentimes, the better the results. That can be said for anything. The more time you spend painting, the better you're going to eventually get results. The more time, the more you, time spend you spend modeling, modeling you're going to, the better modeling skills you're going to develop, and the better you're going to be able to model. It's the same for terrain making. The more time you spend working on the project, the better, you, the, better the project's going to be. If you were shooting for that building that's going to have multiple layers and removable roofs and interior decorations for the rooms and stuff like that, yeah, that project's going to take heaps and gobs of time. But just throwing together like an ogre hut, some hills, some some bases for your forests, stuff like that, which which are kind of the projects we ended up tackling as we get to talking about some of the stuff I was working on. Hills, those kind of things don't require crazy amount of time to complete the projects yeah and for me i'm gonna make a couple more ogre huts and really stylize them to match my ogre army as well and use them on my display board i think it'll be a really nice touch to really sell the look of the army itself so all right well let's go ahead and talk then about some of the stuff the terrain projects i've got in the works Mm -hmm. first off i'm gonna be honest i didn't actually complete any one project that means i won yeah, in a way. Woo! I, I didn't know there was a win or a competition here. Well, there wasn't until but you said you didn't finish. I do have probably a dozen projects in the works right now. Yeah. As we know, I mean, I've talked about it last episode, and I talked, and I've mentioned it already on this episode. I'm gearing up for Merry Mayhem. Mm-hmm. And this year is shaped up to be the biggest Merry Mayhem I've ever run. Of them all. And and that's a good thing. It means I'm growing. It's getting bigger. People are getting more recognition for it. It hasn't been officially announced. You know, it'll probably be. I'll probably officially announce it as I release this cast. Merry Mayhem will be increasing space for fantasy up to forty players. Nice. Now the problem with that is that I've sold all those forty player spots out. The wait list <laughs> is four people currently, so I'm going to open up space for those four people. As well, and since they've already paid me, I was kind of encouraged to open up that wait list for them. <laughs> so that's good news for them. But that means I'm quite a bit short right now in terrain for, to fit 20 tables of Warhammer. Mm-hmm. My own personal collection, I can handle doing probably 12, 10 to 12, 12 to 13 tables of six to eight pieces in theme and, and keep my themed tables. I do. That's the other thing. Merry Mayhem, I do theme tables. I try to capture, each table tries to capture a place, like you feel like you're playing in a certain place or realm of the Warhammer world. So it's, if you're playing on the Dark Elf board, you've got things like a sacrificial circle and the altar of 
with the altar of Cain, I think is what it's called from the book. And if you're mm-hmm. playing on the Empire Town, you've got a lot of the GW plastic buildings. If you're playing on the Undead Board, there's a graveyard and some Gothic-looking terrains to make you feel like you're like you're playing in these various places in the Warhammer world, locales, the various locations. And so I I did some project planning for what I need to do to try to get things accomplished. And hopefully in time, I've been laying out the starting structures for all of these different projects. So I, I guess I've started with, I've started with ramping up my production of, I'm going to make, I'm going to finish up some Hearst Arts buildings and Hearst Arts is basically, they provide a number of different really cool molds or like a rubber mold, rubber silicone mold. And you use plaster for the most part, you could use resin as well. But I use everything I do is dental plaster. I use the the uh, Merlin's magic is what you what they call it, and you can find that on her on the Herstarts website. And I cast little bricks that are basically they're just like you'd use for if you were going to build a castle really big. You they're bricks. It's like playing with Legos, except you don't have the little interlocking sections. It's just you glue them together like normal little square bricks, and you build the cool things like towers and bridges and stuff. So I've got I think I've got. 10 or 12 different molds I'm in the process of casting probably 20, 25 times so I can complete each building project those molds are dedicated for. So there, there's that I've got going on. And casting molds, I mean, the big thing when you're casting Herstart bricks, and they're, all the advice is really much better on the Herstart's website than what I can talk about. <laughs> but what I do when I'm casting, when I'm casting bricks for 12 or 13 models, I followed all the instructions they put up for like marking my little cu- my clear plastic cup so I know where to fill my cup with water, where to fill my cup then with once it's once I filled it with plaster. I put everything on a board that's got a bit of a warp in it. It's a I think a 1 by 10 and it's got a pretty good warp in it so I can once the molds are poured or once I pour four or five molds I can bang on the board, and it will push the air out of the. Because when you pour into a mold, air gets trapped inside next to them between the mold and the and the material you're pouring. So you need to push that air out. Otherwise, you'll get air bubbles and air pockets. Is what you see when you get like GW models, like the especially the fine cast. You see the little holes, the little air bubbles, the little bubbles in them, in pock marks. That's from air that's trapped in the mold that they couldn't get out of the mold before the material started solidifying. In the case of the Hearst Start stuff, because I'm working with dental plaster, it doesn't set up that fast. So I can pour four or five molds and then come back and bang the dickens out of that board by hand. I, I don't have any automated contraptions or anything. There's some great advice for making automated contraptions mm-hmm. that'll do this. But it, it'll beat the air bubbles out, and you'll see them literally rise up to the top, to the top surface. And I mean, when you're pouring the molds, too... You'll end up having it. There'll be there'll be too much material, and you always have a little material bubbled up on the t- or overflowing on the top of them on the top of the mold. Then once I've poured all the molds, I go back to the first mold that I've started with. So I've got now I've got all ten or twelve molds filled that I'm working on. I got a putty knife that's wide enough. I think it's a three and a half inch putty knife, and I go and I scrape each mold the top of each mold so that it's nice and flush and square mm-hmm. this makes it so that when I, I pop my bricks out they've already got a pretty much a nice flat surface on that edge where you're going to need to glue them to the finished herstarts building when you're putting it together because otherwise you're going to spend a lot of time when you're assembling herstart blocks or when you're assembling blocks that you've cast whatever mold you're casting them with 
that you'll have to spend time sanding them so that they're all even. Otherwise, you get like weird gaps in your structure that you're putting together. Yeah. And you still got to do a little sanding, but because I've scraped the molds and stuff, it's not nearly as intensive. And, and that's definitely recommended to, from the Herstarts people, too. Well, that's kind of an interesting point, and I know this is an aside. I apologize. No, go for it. You were talking about the fine cast molds, and I know that the fine cast molds, most of them were originally made from metal. Metal, you don't really have this problem with having the air get in there. You, you do. The problem is the, the metal is heavy enough to really push it. Exactly. Push it out of the way so you, it's more forgiving. And, and resin doesn't do that. It, it's, 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 it's not a very as heavy light material. And it cools. When it hits that cold mold, mm-hmm. even if that mold is heated before you pour it. Correct. I worked with plastic for many years. So, I mean, it, it, this is just a general plastics problem. Mm-hmm. Is when the plastic hits the mold, even if the mold is preheated, mm-hmm. your mold is not nearly as hot as the plastic is. Mm-hmm. Say, I've got my plastic at 350. Well, it's impossible for me to keep my mold, or near impossible for me to keep a metal mold. At 350 degrees. So I'm Especially probably, to keep that detail. most molds are cooled with like water. They pump water through them. Mm-hmm. Plus, if you keep your mold at like that temperature, you will, as your as your plastic sets in it, mm-hmm. it will burn to the mold and it will stick and you'll have problems getting it off. Well, so you got to keep the yeah. molds a little, a little less temp when you're when in the whole plastic process. But then what that happens is that, that fine cast, that plastic fine cast material... Mm-hmm. It's so light, and it is. I mean, if you hold a, even if it's you hold t- a fine yeah. cast model to a, a uh, plastic normal model. plastic <laughs> yeah. model, it seems like the fine cast is still lighter. Mm-hmm. So you've got a really light material. It's got no weight to push the air out of the way. So as you're injecting that into the mold, mm-hmm. it's not pushing the air out, and it's getting trapped in little gaps and holes and whatever. Well, if you think about it, if you've got a mold that's made for a metal miniature, you're not going to be able to grab onto that and shake it to make the air go out. Well, you you could. I mean, that's that's not necessarily. I mean, it depends on what your your mold design was originally for the metal miniature. Mm-hmm. But it, but the problem is you you don't have any time. The plast that fine cast material. My my suspicion is is that fine cast material it sets up so fast, mm-hmm. and that's partially so that you know you can produce more models per minute than you could. If, you, if it took longer for it to set up, if it took longer for the plastic that fine cast is made out of to set up. You would have more options to like do things like shake the molds as you're pouring, mm-hmm. but I think the, the material sets up so fast that it's it's like a burst injection into the mold. Mm-hmm. It's set, open mold, dump, and they're so that they can assemble it and produce these models at incredible speeds, mm-hmm. and that does gives the pl- the material no time to really set up. I've worked with some plastics that were like that, mm-hmm. and they're really frustrating from the manufacturing process to you so well and if you think about it metal is going to take a lot longer to cool down regardless of how you do it and because it takes longer to cool down it's really going to settle into that shape of the mold faster and fine cast going immediately to a solid form and not being able to shake it you've got two issues there number one you've got something that cools really fast and number two you've got something that doesn't make the air go up so using these metal molds so you to cast fine cast miniatures i think is just there a guaranteed issue but i don't think i don't think that that even when you're looking at the fine cast molds or models that they've specifically designed and engineered for fine cast Mm -hmm. you're seeing the same problems but i think that's part of they're just not used to the material yet as well it was supposedly very similar to the material they're using for the forge world stuff it's not a discussion that's 
relevant to our main topic discussion, but I, I think there's I, I would throw some real red flags in this. Well, but I know from experience getting my Forge World, Forge World Mammoth, the mold that the Forge World Mammoth was cast out of wasn't made out of metal. It was made from latex or some sort of form like that because there were still pieces of the mold in the fur of the mammoth. Yeah, when got probably. It. And so if you've got latex, that's going to obviously be a much lower or much better transfer of heat than metal. If you're making a metal mold of a metal miniature, very, this is a fine very, cast versus metal. But you're... You can have the same kind of material, but it's going to have completely different properties based on which mold. Then you get a trade-off in your manufacturing process that you can only cast X number before you have to remanufacture molds. Exactly. So, I mean, that's obviously why the Forge World Mammoth is so expensive. If the BDL is coming out every time you cast it, obviously you've got to cast more molds. So, anyway, but making that's rubber a molds, is, making, <laughs> it, making rubber molds, which is a topic I think we'll have somewhere down, down the, the road, line. exactly, is definitely a really neat prospect process, and it's something you can do really at home. You could make your own rubber molds for a, a number of things. I, I don't know that you can. You're going to manufacture a rubber mold that's good enough to pump out miniatures, so to speak. But mm-hmm. you can make rubber molds that are good enough to pump out, like, the walls of buildings. You, that you only design a wall of a building once, and then you can remanufacture in, in a resin material multiple copies of that same wall, which is really neat if you wanted to mass produce a number of buildings, say, for a tournament that's got 40 people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, now that we've got completely off-topic... <laughs> Well, I apologize. I mean, it's it's still kind of on topic as far as the molding process and what I was talking about with Hearst Arts. So, I mean, once you've got the Hearst Arts blocks cast and you, the assembly process is really pretty pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Really, it's just making sure that the mold, the, each block fits together. You spend a lot of time doing dry fitting to make sure it'll fit into the space that you're going to put it correctly sanding the block a little bit to make sure that it doesn't leave gaps between bricks unnecessarily. There's nothing worse than a fully put together building out of bricks, out of out of Herstart bricks, and having like huge quarter inch or eighth inch gaps between bricks because the bricks were mismatched and didn't fit together right because somebody didn't know or was lazy and didn't want to take the time to sand a few of the bricks that maybe had a little bit too much material still on the side that was face up where you did your scrape of the material off the the mold or maybe a couple times if you mix your if you mix your plaster a little thin sometimes it'll dry and it'll be caved in a little bit and then you're like well that doesn't look right and I got to maybe do a little putty work then to make sure the brick sits and glues evenly too mm-hmm. so there's a lot of dry fitting in the assembly process but generally speaking, once you've got all your bricks put together, it just goes together. You build layer and then layer and then the next layer and then the next layer all the way up. It's good to have a plan put together. They have a lot of plans. All their molds that they basically are intended to make a building, you can get the plan and print it off from Herstart's website. And once you've assembled a few projects, you can start then. I, th- I would recommend that you can even go into then coming up with your own projects from there exactly and designing your own plans so it sounds like you've been doing a lot of terrain uh that was that's the her start stuff i also then did some i'm working on a i i have a lauren forest board every year and, and and a forest board is really pretty easy to do i mean it's just a bunch of trees and every game store or every it's you know you can go out and buy 
woodland scenics trees or games workshop trees or whatever you want to do, whatever tree type trees you want to use. But my Lauren Forest board is an autumn board, so all my trees are in the reds and yellows of autumn. I think that makes my board look a little unique. I have a I, I want to put a river on that board, which I've put a river on it before, but it wasn't in the autumn colors. It was still green banks and stuff like and stuff like that. So this year, I want to make a, a river that's got more of the you know a river that goes down the board. That's a three piece river with a bend and a couple of pieces and a wood and a wood bridge that goes over the top of that. And I want that to look more autumn looks so there's like some fall what it should, so it should look like there's some fallen leaves and stuff on it mm-hmm. so i've cut all the lumber for that on top of that i want each of my forest stands there's going to be like seven or eight forest pieces on this board so each of the forest bases where the trees so you can pick the trees up are all going to be done with like little rocks on them and such so i started out with i think it was eighth inch plywood mm-hmm. and i cut a bunch of i I whipped out my jigsaw and I cut a bunch of roughly oval shapes out of that. And then I also cut the chunks for the two long stretches of river and the river bend. Mm-hmm. And the jigsaw is easy to kind of cut rounded shapes and stuff. You have a lot of flexibility with that. And then I took a, a, a little hand sander, the power sander, and just beveled off the sides so that they were kind of rounded. Mm-hmm on the edge and took off all the sharp edges and anything that would get people splinters or anything like that. And it's important when you're doing working with lumber like that, whether you're working with plywood, you don't want people when they're handling your terrain to get slivers or anything like that. So it's important to clean that up and, and it, it does make it better for handling and such because of course your, your stuff's going to get handled during the course of a tournament or even whatever Warhammer play that you're playing. I then cut the next step was to coat the boards with, well, I, next, I should say the next step was to glue in place the stones. And the stones were literally, I walked around outside and I picked up a few small gravel stones that were laying around the front yard. I mean, I'll, I don't care. I mean, unless you're in like a complete concrete jungle, you can pretty much go outside probably right now and grab yourself a few stones. Mm-hmm. I then have a 50-pound bag of sandbox sand. It costs like five bucks or something like that. It's You go to any Home Depot or DIY store and... Okay. And you can get a, a 50 pound bag of sandbox sand. It's and it's nice because it's it the sand is different grains, different levels of grains. So you get some some sand pieces that are that are pretty big little rocks, and you get some pretty fine sand mixed in. It's it's great for using on your mini spaces mm-hmm. as well as for for this kind of a project. And I on each one of these pieces, I for the forest bases, I coated it with coated the base with sand. Mm-hmm. So just some PVA glue. I thinned it down about forty percent water, and then with a paintbrush, painted down, filled it with sand, put the stones into place. I actually cut a couple of chunks of blue insulation foam as well to make some little raised ridges. Coated those with sand as well, so it's getting a nice firm base. And then the next step was because the, the sand isn't gonna is gonna be still kind of if you it's it's gonna peel off the, just by handling at this point. Mm-hmm. So the next step was I went ahead and put in a darker brown paint plus about forty percent water, eh, probably fifty percent water, and about ten percent PVA or Elmer's glue. Mm-hmm. 
Brush this over the top of all of the wood bases. Now I've got a base that's basically a dark brown in color. Yep. And now the sand is pretty firmly held in place. I'm going to go ahead, though, and go over the boards a second time with the same mixture. Mm-hmm. Just to make them, I, this is the point where I'm, I'm not, I haven't gotten any further, but this is the intended plan, uh, is to go ahead and go with the same, over those boards with the same mixture. And then once that's set up, to dry brush another, another layer of lighter color, and then to dry brush like a fla- almost a flesh tone color. And that'll give me my base of color. Then I'm going to take some pine cones and break off all the little pine needles and kind of hack them in half or thirds and glue them kind of in place. And then I'm going to use a little static grass for some green. I've got some autumn colored flocks that are a little more, a little thicker. Clump, not clump, clump they're not quite clump foliage. They're okay. kind of in between clump and, and a, a standard real, a real fine flock. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to glue those kind of splotches on the bases, paint up the stones a little more gray Maybe put a few mushrooms or something, make some mushrooms or something to put on these bases if I get time. And that's going to, I mean, it'll it'll take that table from the, yeah, that looks okay to that extra pop. And I, I really think that's going to be a big reward. And people are going to be able to feel like, hey, I'm playing on this cool forest board rather than, oh, I'm just playing on a board with a bunch of trees. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. Well, uh, my question is... Is there anything that you would do differently from the start at this point? It sounds like you're in the middle of the project, so I don't know if you'd have anything to add to that. I, I don't really have anything that I'd do differently at this point in the project. I'm going to have to go back on the trees. Last year I was in a rush and didn't have a lot of materials laying around and put them on fo- put my autumn trees on foam board bases. I bought all my tre- trees pre-manufactured from Woodland Scenics. Yeah. And they're a big model railroad manufacturer for, like, Diorama, uh, model railroad dioramas and stuff. So they're, you can get trees from them for fairly inexpensive. They were yep. all pre-made. The, the clump foliage and stuff for the trees were all glued in place or plastic trees. They're pretty. They're really durable. I, I really like them. I'll get for my I think twenty twenty five dollars in investment. I'll probably get ten years of usage out of those trees. Yeah. But I put them on foam board. They're basically it's a paper. It's a foam piece of foam. It's about a quarter inch thick wrapped on paper on both sides people use them for like garage sale signs and stuff mm-hmm. i had a bunch of that laying on i glued these to those and then i put some i painted them brown and that was pretty much where i called i just didn't have time last year to get them any further yeah i really want to put those on two inch round discs mm-hmm. which will give them some weight and help them hold them in place i'm either going to do that or i'm going to find some metal washers yeah. that have small center holes and glue them to that to help give them some weight so that when you put them on, when you put them down, they tend to want to stay and not only stay in place, but they're not like, oh, hey, somebody bumped the table and now they, they've a half dozen four trees fell down. So that's kind of hindsight as far as what's working with those. I'm going to have to go back and redo, hopefully for this year for Mayhem. I do a lot of terrain, so I don't have a lot of things that I'm really like, Eh, I wish I would have done it this way or that way when I'm done. I've learned a lot. Uh, one of the biggest things I learned going into some of the train, like I did a gr- uh, graveyard last year, mm-hmm. and after talking to and seeing some of the stuff that Melanie had done, mm-hmm. I, it had dawned on me that I could trace patterns into uh, the blue insulation foam that's real common, the blue or the pink foam that's real common with terrain projects. 
And so I traced the bricks for the outside fences mm-hmm. on foam for that graveyard I manufactured. And that's one of my be- – when I did that, and it was like the first piece that I had done like that. And, and it's certainly and one of the things that one of my tips to the listeners is always start simple. That was some, that was a part that I'm like, oh, well, I can start this really simple. It's not going to cost me any real big money for materials. And when I was done, I was like, wow, this is, you know, just a ballpoint pen. I have like perfect looking bricks yeah. on this for this fence. And it took a little bit of planning to make sure the bricks lined up with each separate little segment so that when they were all butted together, they looked right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was really impressed with the end result, really happy. And it then took me to, well, let me try this now on a building and let me try this with some other projects that I did, that I, I wanted to do. And yeah, so that's a, that was a big thing that I, I had learned. Nice. The other big thing is just uh, making sure that I have every piece of terrain has its, and I, we talked about that when you talked about your pieces, but was to make sure that every piece had its own little base. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I think we talked enough about what projects we kind of did ourselves. Let's go ahead. We've been talking for a while. Let's go ahead and cut a break, give our listeners a chance to kind of swallow what we talked about. And when we come back, we'll talk some more terrain and, and things we've learned off these projects, as well as things we're going to hope we're going to get accomplished in the future and our thoughts towards those projects. All right. Sounds good. Yes. Yes, my precious. My precious. Your precious what? My precious everything. My Warhammer, my 40K, Yu-Gi-Oh, Magic cards. You can find them all at Misty Mountain Gaming. Really? Yeah, Misty Mountain Gaming, located on Cottage Grove Road in Madison, Wisconsin. They have pretty much everything you can imagine for gaming in Madison. Okay, so if I just run down to Misty, I can pick up all sorts of good stuff? Oh yeah, board games, everything. And I hear they have the largest gaming space in Madison, too. So if I need to run an event there, I could get all the space I need, huh? Oh yeah, Misty Mountain Games on Cottage Grove Road. Alright, well I think I'll jet out to Misty right about now. Sounds good. Alright, we're back. We're back! Okay, so let's go ahead and talk a little bit about things that we'd like to either do differently or like we'd like to try to incorporate or do as new and future projects Mm -hmm. moving forward so first i'd like to cover just things i would do differently with the ogre tents that i did make Uh, number one i wanted to use more layers of paper on top of it to make a harder shell for the tent itself number two i want to try and maybe draw some designs in pencil on the pieces of paper before I put them in the wash and see if that turns out to have a nice look to it. Maybe it'll look, I'm hoping it'll look a little like it's burned into the hide itself. Almost like maybe a tattoo. Correct. I would think more along that lines. Part of the problem when you're layering it Uh is that you're not going to get like your lines probably won't line up if you want to do a larger design. Yeah. I was thinking smaller designs potentially, but I mean, it, it was just a thought I had of doing something to the paper before I crumple it up and before I put it in the wash to really help strengthen that tie-in towards the theme I have in my army. Of course, I want to be able to sew that cocktail sticks into the actual tent itself to make the, make it look just that more detailed and more realistic, I guess. So that would be what I would want to do differently with the tents that I have done so far. Ben, you have a lot of future projects that you're working on right now. Yeah, keep saying I, I'm kind of ramping up on this Mary May- Mayhem thing. I got a lot of tables I need to try to get accomplished. 
to try to keep the theme thing coming down the road we have i have a planned asgaroth table which is going to be basically a uh, lava t- like there'll be some lava and a volcano and mm-hmm. some spiky bits coming out of the ground and some fortress walls or a fortress tower that's kind of i don't have good examples of artwork right now to work from mm-hmm. for actual like gw chaos dwarfy stuff mm-hmm. but i was thinking along the lines of like well this could be a dual table maybe as a a mordor table or something mm-hmm. like that as well so i'm going to try to keep some of the buildings maybe a little more to the lord of the rings mordor look um there's actually a thread on warhammer empire.com warhammer empire.com that you might be interested in uh there's a gentleman who's making what he's called a chaos dwarf mining complex i'm sure if you put that into the search function it'll come up He's making it from wood, but he's got some really nice drawings itself and then also design on a specific Chaos Dwarf mining complex that might be able to give you some ideas on what that would look like on your table. Yeah, I was also going to... I'm, I'm looking to try to recruit Dustin locally here. Mm-hmm. He's kind of a, our Madison converter specialist of miniatures, and he's in the process of converting his own Chaos Dwarf army mm-hmm. from the ground up. and. And we're using that, like using some of his vision for some of the buildings and structures, I think will help if I can get him to stop by and help out with that project. Cool. I've got other projects I've got. I want to do a, I want to do a full underground board for Mayhem this year, which is going to be an old dwarf mining complex, mm-hmm. except that it's been taken over by Skaven. So it'll be some rickety Skaven type stuff mm-hmm. included with that board. I think that's going to be really neat and really take on a, I know its own flavor and help get the theme of that army into one of my tables as well. I was, I you know, was trying to concept out how do I get this army into into a table. So mm-hmm. one of the goals of all the, all the different theme tables. Not only am I trying to capture these specific areas and realms of of the Warhammer world, but I wanted to have like hey, you get an opportunity to play on this table and you're playing that race, you should feel like, ooh this is what it's like to play in an area that's controlled by my race. And, like, how do you do that for Skaven? Well, mm-hmm. Skaven are really the under-empire. You know, when they're above ground, the few things that they might have taken or hold are really things that were taken over by somebody else. And when they're below ground, most of their stuff, unless it's completely uncontrolled caverns would have been old dwarf structures. So here I get to control, I get to make like a cool old dwarf table. Like, and I, I like mm-hmm. making dwarf stuff, but then I'm just going to scaven it up a bit, you know, with some balsa wood and stuff on, on some of the projects and some rickety contraptions. I think it's going to be a great little look and table. Very cool. Of course, I've got an ogre table. I've got the obligatory uh, Camry desert table I need to do. Mm-hmm. The ogre table, it's just going to be some ogre huts. I think I'm going to try to tackle an ogre hut project like what you're doing. But I'm going to, I mean, I need to do a maw for it. And mm-hmm. it's going to be on a board that's kind of wintry. So that'll be, uh, I do like doing, I like having a nice variance as well as for the climate of the boards. Yeah. The uh, desert table will be, uh, the the Camry table Mm -hmm. will be more of a, there'll be some Egyptian-ish type structures and temples, a sphinx, a a Camry and quicksand. And then the final board, the the big project for this year that I have to get done is... 
a chariot race board, actually. Mm-hmm. Because one of the events on Sunday for Mayhem is to do chariot races. Mm-hmm. I want to do a board, a dedicated 6x4 board that's just for this. So when you're, you'll be able to play Warhammer on it. Mm-hmm. But then you'll be able to turn around and use it for this really cool chariot race concept and you'll be able to for the Sunday portion of the event. So I want you to I want you to feel I want it to feel like you're playing like the, the, the battles taking place in the center of this massive arena. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the goal. We'll see how closely I can get to achieving that, but that's that's really my goal for that project right now. Mm-hmm. Granted, I got to get that started too. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's a lot of stuff I need to get done, and there's a lot of I'm gonna I'm getting projects to the uh, right now. I'm just trying to get things assembled mm-hmm. and laid out on the table downstairs till I have the basically the table is going to be coated with projects, and then I, I need to recruit some help for painting and or some of this like the chaos dwarf table. I really want to recruit Dustin to just come by and spend a weekend, uh, yeah, a Sunday or a Saturday. Mm-hmm just crafting the projects themselves and getting them done. So that, I mean, those are the things that I really want to get done in the next couple of months before, before uh, the end of November. And I got some, I got some time to get the, to get a lot of those done. Of course I've this year mayhem. I want to do a bunch of four by six boards. I want to do my original goal was to do enough boards. So I'd have 18 boards. It's four by six boards, uh, like a five eighths inch uh, press board. Mm-hmm. with some sand and some of some of them having water features some of them having paths or trails worked into them and all of them you know some of them being like snowboards so that i didn't have to roll out mats i could just haul down these four by six boards they're really similar i i, I fell in love with what was what ryan golke the bear from point hammered yeah from point hammered <laughs> point uh, hammered he was you know and he he does the walk pack and he, he's done the walk pack thing he's done the these similar boards, and I really fell in love with them. I really do like the aesthetic of them. I think they mm-hmm. bring a lot to the tournament. I would like to have my own set for Mayhem and or other tournaments that I do in the future. Besides that, some spring events or whatever. And they're nice to have around the house. I mean, I've played a lot of games out in the garage with the ones I did for last year, yep. which I only did three last year but they're they're nice i mean i just throw them up on a couple of sawhorses and poof away we go we gotta get we were able to play warhammer out in the garage or wherever in the house i mean i do have a four bite in the basement and stuff but it's nice to have and eventually i'd like to be able to even host a, a small invitational tournament out of the house so having all the boards here i'll be it'll make it easy to do that yeah other future projects that i'd like to hit i mean that's a lot of ambition there mm-hmm. uh I don't know. Making good train doesn't t- have to take forever. Mm-hmm. I'm not making. I'm not trying to rival stuff like the train winch we had on. Uh, I think it was episode eight. I'm not trying to rival stuff that's done by. I'm not trying to make the, you know, for my own personal collection for the tournament play. I'm not trying to make stuff that's ridiculously amazing. I'm trying to make stuff that's durable, that'll last many years. Mm-hmm. That I'm. That looks good. That captures the feeling that I'm looking for in the in the board or the setting. And then I can always go back later next year or the year after and recapture and and go back and and I and I have done that in the past. Either either touched up a project that I started this year or last year, like my sacrificial circle on the dark elf board, which mm-hmm. is basically a piece of corrugated cardboard and some blue insulation foam. And a little sand, and then some black and gray paint, and a little bit of red paint. 
Yeah. And some mixing media or painting <laughs> medium. So basically, this project, since I, I brought it up, I, I started out, I had a, I cut out a, a round piece of corrugated cardboard. This is, you know, everybody's got shipping boxes that were shipped to them. So you, you start out with that as a base. Then I did, I cut out some, they're almost, they almost look like little claws, like a dragon claw or a lion claw or a cat claw out of blue insulation foam. I like the blue stuff better. I think it's a little more firm, a little less squished to it than the, a little more durable than the pink stuff mm-hmm. that's out there. But whatever, either one would have worked. And I, so I made these little claw structures and put glued the flat edge right to the cardboard base. Yep. And then in the center, I basically cut out a, a rectangle, and I just basically did a 45-degree cut to the top edges so that it looked like it was kind of leveled off. And it's only about uh, half inch, three-quarter inches high off the cart cardboard. Mm-hmm. So it looks like a giant table, in the cent- and I put that in the center. So I've got these claw look, claw-like hooks kind of angling in over the top of this over the top of this altar in the center and then on the and then I just basically dusted it with some sand um on the on the uh, cardboard portion mm-hmm. and a little bit of sand not very much on a couple of choice spots on the on the claws mm-hmm. just cuz it gives it a little more of a natural look without having to do a lot of work or extra carving yeah once that was done, I coated the whole thing with uh, a watered-down PVA, mm-hmm. painted, um, and at that point, since it was coated with a, a watered-down glue, I was able to take it then, and I just painted it black, the whole thing black. I dry-brushed it with some gray. I dry-brushed it with some lighter gray. Uh, and then over the top of the altar to get a blood effect, Mm-hmm. I painted, uh, I started with a uh, really dark red, almost like a, the old GW scab red. Mm-hmm. And then the centers of the pools, I went to a blood red and painted some red as they pouring off of the altar and on the center of the altar. And then to make it look kind of gory, like somebody had been sacrificed there or something anyways. And then I to make the blood kind of glossy and pop on it, I took a painting medium, which I mix normally with like minis and stuff that I'm painting. You know, I thinned down my paints and put a little painting medium into it. I just coated the top of the dried paint with the painting medium, and it worked as kind of a gloss without being uber glossy. And the effect was really quite remarkable. And I didn't do any of the. Blo- I, I had originally only just only had just put a little bit of the sand and glued the hook, the little claws into place, and painted the whole thing kind of gray. Well, I had come back a year later, a couple years, actually three, four years later, and had to make it look better, I had dry brushed it. I dry brushed it up another layer or two of, of lighter gray, which helped bring, helped me take it from like, eh, to, okay, you know, it looks pretty respectable. Mm-hmm. And the fresh paint also kind of helped. You know, after a few years, you know how things get. The paint kind of looks gets a little dull or whatever, and the the fresh paint helped help bring it, make it pop a little better. But mm-hmm. then I added the blood elements as well, and that really took it from like, 
okay, it looks okay to like, wow, this is really respectable. This is, this now looks like a nice piece and I'm going to keep using it now for another four or five years mm-hmm. probably because it looks, re- it looks really good. And at this point, I'm pretty content. I want to do a Dark Elf Tower mm-hmm. at some point um, for my Dark Elf table. But other than that, I mean, the, the ta- all the stuff I have for that table is really pretty respectable and at a stage of like, yeah, this is going to be good for the next few years. Cool. So, I mean, those are, those are I mean, just the kind of the coming back, going full circle, and then even coming back later and, and coming up with new ideas and fresh ideas for existing pieces that you have to just give them a little more flesh. And who knows, I, they, that same circle, sacrificial, sacrificial circle that's on that corrugated cardboard, which I don't like using for any of my current projects. I like using a stiffer hardboard because it's just more durable and it'll last longer. But who knows, maybe in another couple of years I'll come back to it and go, ah, oh, well, I could use a skull here or that could use a uh, – maybe I come up with a cool idea for a way to put manacles on that on that uh, center stone or mm-hmm. something like that to just make it look more – just that next little edge to make it look a little more sinister, mm-hmm. to make it pop a little better with the rest of the terrain that's on that board. Oh, I do think I did add a little snow to that as well because I, I, I decided to make my Dark Elf board – uh, give it a, it was going to be in a, a quasi winter stone type environment. So cool. Uh, so I mean, those are some ideas. I mean, you just keep coming back and those are some, some of the techniques. I mean, it was a, definitely an older piece that I did years ago. So mm-hmm. I took it to the next level just by doing a few simple touches up, but still incredibly cheap, cre- incredibly not expensive to start out and manufacture, Looks really good. It looked really good when I first put it on the table years ago for my games then. And it's now it's much, I mean, I'm still using it, you know, all these years later. So, uh, so I, I don't know if you had any other, any other projects that came to mind or anything else you wanted to mention on the terrain portion of the show here. Uh, well, I'm actually working on a terrain project myself. That's more of a long-term project. Uh, there is a college. There are two colleges in town. There's UW Madison and Madison College. And Madison College is more of a technical college, and they have a new professor there who has worked his entire life with comic books and maquettes. Uh, maquettes are those sculptures that you make for movies or for comic books to show the design of the character in 3D. Somebody sculpts it out of Super Sculpey, and that's basically how you get the 3D design for all the characters, and you finalize those concepts that you have in your mind. Uh, Well, this guy, Jeff Butler, uh, has decided that he's going to start teaching how to do these maquettes, how to do comic books, etc. And I signed up for his class. So I'm not particularly interested in doing large-scale maquettes, which he does usually about a quarter, fifth, or a sixth scale of human size. Obviously, I want to really make this work for wargaming, So I had an original idea for a miniature, but at the moment I'm going to really focus on doing um, what I believe it's called the Tree of Woe. It was in one of the late 200 issues of White Dwarf, but it was this evil Nurgle tree with a face on it and a couple of branches sticking out of the top of it. Yeah, it was like a dead tree, basically, Mm -hmm. is what it looked like. It was kind of sinister looking, like if you think of a tree out of like a haunted forest or something Mm -hmm. like that would be a good example. Yeah, and uh, they showed a step-by-step of how they made it in the White Dwarf. They used a lot of wire. They used a lot of... They used a wiffle ball in the center for it, and they used a lot of foam, etc. And 
I talked to the professor and I was like, I'd really love to be able to make something that looks like this. And the professor was like, all right, sounds good. So uh, last Wednesday, I spent the entire class making an armature. So an armature is a metal base that you sculpt the miniature around, basically. So I started out with a bunch of tin foil, uh, compressed it down to the point where it literally couldn't be compressed anymore, wrapped that tin foil in some very thin aluminum wire because aluminum won't rust when I put the clay on it, and then took some 6-inch aluminum wire, twisted that together to make it even stronger, and used that to make my roots and to make my branches itself. So at the end of the three hours, I ended up coming up with an armature. So that's the point where I am in this project at the moment. And the next step is to start putting Super Sculpey on, which is kind of a rubbery clay material that can be baked in your oven anywhere from about 150 to 225 degrees. So it doesn't require any other large-scale ovens or anything else like that. And once it's baked, it's pretty hard and actually pretty durable. So I am really excited to see where this project goes. I'm really excited about the class in general and I, I would really like to be able to use the skills that I gain in this class to start sculpting smaller models and really use the experience of somebody who's worked with Hollywood, who's worked with comic books, who's worked in uh, with Dungeons and Dragons to really give me an edge on trying to do these larger, more intensive conversions and larger, more intensive terrain projects. I would really love to be able to make this Tree of Woe look really, really good and be a nice centerpiece for a table of terrain. And the professor himself is very excited about the project, the prospect of teaching this whole aspect of sculpting maquettes and also of doing casting, etc. further on down the road. So it seems to be something that I could be involved in for quite a while. And I'm really excited to be in a class that teaches me something that I'm going to be able to use for my hobby itself. So that's my main project I'm working on right now. Well, that sounds great. I mean, that's it's great to be able to to learn and advance your hobby. So, mm-hmm. uh, particularly with terrain, especially um, I know we've talked in the past. You've kind of been either really cautious about terrain mm-hmm. because you you do have a certain aesthetic that you want to try to keep in mind, mm-hmm. and or that you never felt like you could do stuff that met the same standard as mm-hmm. the GW plastic type kits that are are currently released that matches the rest of your terrain collection. So it's really exciting to hear you grow your hobby in this new direction Mm -hmm. and some of the stuff you you know you're talking about and learning are things that i haven't done yet and Mm -hmm. so i'll be interested to see how your projects turn out finally that you're you're doing currently and that you'll do in the future because of this and what i can get out of that even then to put into my own hobby so Mm -hmm. i'm excited for you too there yeah and especially since i went to college for art being able to actually use that for my hobby is really what i started doing ceramics to begin with so i've finally made it to the point where i'm going to be using my art to do exactly what i want all right so i think now it is time for cody's rant hey okay so i'm not gonna today's cody's rant is really about going out to TOs, event organizers, 
that kind of thing, that when you're running your events, uh, especially these, there's been a huge number of charity events, and when you're running a charity event, like I run for Mayhem, to make sure that that you're doing it for the right causes and that the people that you have involved are doing it for the right causes and with the right intents so that you follow through with your intents. There's been some talk on the internets about about people that potentially taking advantage and or profiteering potentially off of off of events that they've said, hey, we're giving away X to charity and they didn't hold up to it. And and I and I don't I don't know the full circumstances of that or not, but it is irritating and I do take it kind of as a personal affront that such a thing could even be thought of or suggested. And I want to make sure if you're if you're one of those guys, if you're that kind of person, you're like, oh, I'm going to run my tournament, I'm going to run it for profit. Well, one, people don't run tournaments to try to make money or profits off of them. They just don't. I mean, it, no. in the reality, at the end of the day, by the time you get done giving away prize support, paying for your vendor halls, those kind of things, it shouldn't be about making money or putting or being able to go out and put extra product on on the sh- on your own shelves at home or you know, whatever. It shouldn't be fun for funding your hobby in the first place. And if you're doing things for charity, especially, you take those proceeds, whatever it was. Hey, you got an extra $50 off of entrance, entrance fees. Well, use those, just throw that extra $50 at the end of the day. Well, I could have put that in my pocket and bought a regiment set or whatever. Or you could have just put it towards your charity you were doing the whole event for in the first place. Mm-hmm. Don't short the charity. That's That's really not cool, especially... But it's it's not cool that you're trying to if you're trying to make money off a tournament. I don't think I certainly I don't want to go to tournaments that I, people are there trying to purposely make money. Sometimes that might happen. Somebody might turn out in the positive, but I I don't know anybody that I've talked to or been around that's run an event or run a tournament to try to make money, and certainly not to at a charity event to try to take money away from the charity. Mm-hmm. So it should be clear, very upfront, and those funds should go to the go to the charity as quickly as you can possibly. I know in my part of Mayhem, I have the Marines actually show up and take the cash and the money right then and there. There's not even the temptation. And Lord knows, we we generated over $1,600 cash and toys last year. Mm -hmm. That was a giant wad of cash, and it was very tempting to just go, eh, we'll put that in my pocket and ignore it. No, that's not cool. That's completely not cool. Even the joking about it's, to an extent, not cool. So... If you're listening to the show and, and and you you feel like you've taken advantage of that or whatever, you know, take it to heart. Those people that that are not, I and I can't. I know. I know. There's been talk on the internet, and I, it's, I don't need you here nor there. I don't. I, I don't know anybody that's done anything like this. But I want to have my own voice and and those. You know, if you ever find out or or know that somebody that's been in that situation. Let them know that they're not doing something that's cool and that they need to make right. So, well, and at the end of the day, going to a tournament is supposed to be about fun, and anything that anybody does to detract from enjoying the tournament at the time or detract from their memory of having a good tournament just sucks. So, I'd say I'd tell them to go listen to the show we did last. before our two shows ago, eighteen, mm-hmm. uh, where we talked about sportsmanship, pay attention to that stuff. Yeah, that's that's what the heart of tournament play and being a good gamer is: is being a good sport. And whether you're running the event mm-hmm. or whether you're participating in the event, 
don't detract from people's enjoyment of the event and more importantly don't don't detract from what people think of you or your event by shafting the charity or trying to make money off of them for running what that for people trying to come to your event it's just not cool i mean at at that point it extends to not be a good gamer at point it extends to be a good person <laughs> all right so let's go ahead and what do we talk about today paul i think we talked about terrain a lot about terrain yeah it was a really good terrain discussion i think we we really talked about we really delved into two or three projects and really talked about how to do them what to do mm-hmm. at each stage whether it was making the ogre huts like you made mm-hmm. might talk about her starts and what those can and i know a lot of people don't maybe haven't heard of her starts mm-hmm. or use her starts in any of their terrain projects they are they are a great product and company and no they're not sponsoring the show so we're just talking about her starts because it's a product i use a lot mm-hmm. we talked i mean i talked about the little sacrificial circle that i did um, we talked about a lot of, I mean, a lot of future products. So, I mean, I, I, I know when we talked to, did the introduction show way back in the day, mm-hmm. almost a year ago now, <laughs> that I, I did say, I mean, I came out, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be ramping up for Merry Mayhem come in the fall, come August or so, August, September, I'm going to be starting to turn, change gears. And guess what? You're going to hear about train making then because that's <laughs> what I'll be doing as a hobby. Well, guess what? That's what I'm doing for the hobby now. So you're hearing about it. So uh but that's i i think that i think the discussion and getting the how-tos were really good and really useful and i i I find those those kind of things really useful and and educational so i hope you did too from there let's go ahead and how do you get a hold of the show how do you find the show to listen to uh where where do you go to find the show paul if you wanted to listen to it obviously they probably already know because they're listening to us now but i think you can go to wiscodice.com you definitely can go to our site. You can check. You can download. Um, you just go to the episodes link up on the top, and you can catch all our episodes, or you can catch the most current episodes right on the main feed. You get a, we got a little player embedded in the site at wiscodice.com. Correct. Of course, if you want to, if you wanted to catch up with the hosts and chat about either projects you've got going on we have a terrain section on our forums at wiscodice.com. Is that wiscodice.com? It is. And at in the forums, you, you can there's the train section. You can leave comments about. We'll have a thread about this show. You can always leave comments about what you thought about this show or any show mm-hmm. through our forums. There, of course, they're publicly viewable, so everybody can comment and whatever if they wanted to. Of course, then you can always catch the show on many of the popular media such as iTunes, BlackBerry Podcast, Stitcher, Sharp Radio. Yeah, definitely. Leave us a review. Yep, you leave us a review. Those reviews are helpful. Get your we friends, do listen to them. <laughs> get your friends to subscribe to the show. We do read the reviews. I really liked uh, somebody just left a review on iTunes that I caught the other day where he, he mentioned he caught the show early on. And he, uh, we argued too much, and I'd agree <laughs> with that. We, we did argue quite a bit. But we listened to that feedback that we got from some folks. Mm-hmm. And we changed what we were doing quite a bit. You know, We, we realized that we tried to... Uh, you know, approach things differently. And that we really shows. do like each other a little yep. bit. And, <laughs> and he had come back and listened to some of our more recent shows. And after 
after kind of just saying, yeah, I'm not going to listen to the show. Mm-hmm. And he, he's like, wow, these guys are really improved. I really do enjoy listening to their show now. So I, we, we do read those comments and, mm-hmm. and we do take your feedback seriously. Definitely. Even if it's, even if it's not something we necessarily agree with. I mean, <laughs> um, we got a lot of, I, I got some good comments on like the Orcs is the best show that we did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took some of that seriously. I really, t- I took a lot of it to heart. I do have to say, I, I tried to play, I tried to do that show in the mindset of an orc, so it was a little more <laughs> obstinate than usual, but, you know, cranky old man comes through. Yeah. Of course, then we've got, uh, you can reach us on Facebook. Correct. Uh, we do have our Facebook page and our Facebook group. There are two, there are two separate entities on Facebook. The correct. Facebook group is kind of a uh, an area where people that like the show, we can chat and talk and comment uh and then we have uh the facebook page where we have a contest running correct oh, what, what, what's going on with that contest well uh when we get to 100 likes we're gonna give out a whole bunch of stuff yeah we got what 15 20 items we're gonna give away right now yeah i think so somewhere and, around there and that's gonna go to 15 or 20 different people depending on however many items we have in that pool correct one per person yep exactly we're just gonna draw them randomly it's gonna be a random number roll and once we draw your number for a prize we're gonna have a prize we'll roll a run we'll get a number randomly generated for uh oh hey player 90 or person that liked us 98 on the list yeah oh look they they just won such and such and that's the way we're gonna determine it all right and then we'll just keep giving away prizes and we'll get a hold of you through facebook then to try to get shipping information and get those get those things out via our very famous and powerful shipping department now yay we did have to fire a couple of guys <laughs> before we got the shipping department that actually worked <laughs> <laughs> but is that where the fan came from no oh that's not where the fan came from either <laughs> uh, uh, we're on, on twitter yeah we do are on twitter at what's going ice and at dugan Brideax. Or you can find us on Google Plus, Wiscodice at gmail.com. Yeah, that's uh we will put you in our circles if you put a, a put uh us in your circle. Alright. So yeah, that's a great way to get some news and and we do actually use Google Plus to put out announcements and and stuff that's going on. So make sure you catch uh you know, if you're on Google Plus, make sure you get us added to your circles because you may get information that you don't get necessarily anywhere else via that media. All right. All right. So I uh, hope you guys enjoyed the show. Mm-hmm. We had a good time talking about all the projects. Obviously, it's getting we've kept on talking and talking and talking. It's getting later now here, so we're going to go ahead and, uh, t- and wrap this thing up. All right. Sounds good. Yes, even Paul can make a train. Oh, my God. I'm so surprised. Hey, I played with those door cuts the other day. They were great. <laughs> Last Square, that's one of my favorite stores. Right on Missy Mountain. Oh, my God. I don't know which one to play at next. <laughs> yes, yes, Master Conzie. Yes, yes, yes. I'm ready for Halloween, too. What, do you keep him in the closet or something? Closet? Heck no, I don't let the guy live here. You see him? He's like a crazy party hound. Did he try and do push-ups with his shirt off? No. No. He's not the shirtless guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, folks. Peace out. All right.